Before we get started, a brief announcement. The Ultrasound Gel team is actually looking to, quote, hire some new people to the team. In particular, we are looking for a creative-minded person who's interested in helping us create some infographics for the podcast and the post. Now, when I say hire, I, of course, don't mean you're actually getting paid in the traditional sense, but it does give you a lot of value in working with this team and contributing to the importance of evidence evidence-based point-of-care ultrasound. There's no particular requirements, but it would help if you had some experience in some of these things. And what I want to emphasize is that we want someone on the team who believes in the product and really wants to serve this community with your abilities. So if you're interested, just send me an email, mike at ultrasoundgel.org. On with the show. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila and I'm joined today by Michael Pratz and Cray Bolger. Hello guys. The team's back together. Cray and Jacob, I would love to tell you about this really rad nerve block. This article was called the Ultrasound Guided Spinal Accessory Nerve Block for Intractable Trapezius Pain, a case series. And it's really impressive because I didn't know that you could block the accessory nerve. And all of these three cases vary in how old or how many comorbidities these patients had. The common factor is that these patients all were tender over their trapezius. And let's just say they had done their diligence and realized there was really nothing else bad going on. And this seemed like musculoskeletal type pain of their neck. And so in one case, this 41-year-old female, she has this pain over trapezius. It seemed to be refractory to, you know, your typical stuff that you're going to try. They found the spinal accessory nerve, put 5 mLs of bupivacaine around it. Her pain went from 11 out of 10, I'm sure we've all seen that, down to 3 out of 10, which I thought was really impressive. And this nerve is actually pretty superficially located between the clavicle and mastoid, a little inferior to the ear. And when you ultrasound the posterior border of the SCM, you can actually see it over the levator scapula muscle. One thing I learned is that this is only motor fibers. So it theoretically is only going to relieve the pain if you really think it's due to muscle spasm. Really interesting. Super cool. I could actually use one myself as I pulled my (laughs) trap this morning. I wonder how this differs from the superficial cervical, which is sensation, but it's a really cool concept. And I think a very frustrating diagnosis for a lot of patients where yes, they're not dying, but they feel like they are. Sweet case. I loved it. Let's talk about this case, which I actually love that this study was done. And Mike informed me that we actually haven't talked about ectopic pregnancies on this podcast before. The background for this is basically the importance of what we do, right? I mean, you see a individual that comes in, they're hypotensive, maybe they have some inappropriate bradycardia with abdominal pain. We can diagnose that ruptured ectopic within seconds. I mean, I've done this, not even gotten the pregnancy test and able to send the patient up to the OR basically within minutes. Whereas, you know, old school version would have been pregnancy does wait for that radiology ultrasound and a huge delay in this patient getting you know managed appropriately this was published in the american journal of emergency medicine in 2021 and is entitled impact of point of care ultrasound on the treatment time of ectopic pregnancy so the question that they're asking is does performing a pocus of the pelvis and the right upper quadrant in patients with ectopic pregnancy that require operative care reduce emergency department length of stay and does pocus reduce time to operative management in patients with ruptured ectopic pregnancy so this was performed at a single center 
and it was a retrospective study. They collected data from January 2015 to September 2020, and they included any patients that were admitted to this hospital for management of ectopic pregnancy. So they had to be admitted. They excluded anybody that arrived with a known ectopic pregnancy. If they didn't go to the OR, if they did go to the OR but didn't have an ectopic, that sounds like a bad case, or if they had imaging prior to arrival in the emergency department. So retrospective observational cohort, they found these patients in their medical records and they split them into two groups, those that got a point of care ultrasound in the emergency department and those that had a radiology performed ultrasound. Now, if they had both, they were still put into the POCUS group. And standard practice at this institution is to perform a radiology ultrasound, a comprehensive OB ultrasound, if the patient is hemodynamically stable, even if you're concerned about an ectopic after doing your POCUS. So they looked through their charts, found the patients that met this criteria, and then they extracted certain endpoints that were their outcomes. They were looking for the ED arrival time, how long were they sitting in the ED before they did anything, before they got dis positioned, and then time to the operation start. When they analyzed these ultrasound images, they were looking to see, are the POCUS and the RADUS, the radiology-performed ultrasound, either positive, negative, or indeterminate for an intrauterine pregnancy, and were they positive or negative for free fluid in both the pelvis and the right upper quadrant? And indeterminates in the case of the free fluid, they just counted those as negative. So the primary outcome was the ED treatment time, the time from when they were placed in the treatment area to when the disposition order was placed. And they were comparing those who received POCUS versus those who did not receive POCUS. Secondary outcome was the time to the operating room for those that went to the operating room. And they did a great power calculation and only needed 44 patients to show the difference that they were looking for, a difference of 30 minutes. This is one of the few studies where they did a power calculation and then well exceeded that number. So that's, I always like that. Also, lastly, statistically did a linear regression analysis to look for any covariates that could affect those outcomes, which is always nice when you're doing a retrospective study to try to control for some of those other factors that could affect these outcomes. The scans were done by emergency physicians. It doesn't specify, you know, it was over five years and they couldn't really tell how trained they were when they did it. But it seemed like at least everybody had some basic POCUS training that's common in emergency physicians these days. Of note, they only did transabdominal scans. We can talk about that if you want, but they were only doing transabdominal POCUS scans when they went to radiology, then they likely got transvaginal as well. So let's get to the the point. What did they find in this study? So they had to exclude quite a bit of patients, but still, as you said, they were able to almost triple their number that they had powered for. They got excluded if they already had a known ectopic, got an ultrasound in triage, or had like an existing diagnosis that they were coming in with. Of these patients, they had 109 charts that did not get excluded. 33% of them had point of care. Of the ones who had point of care, almost 64% also got a comprehensive radiology ultrasound. Of note, which I think is kind of important and not, but not surprising to most people is the point of care group was sicker. They had more ruptured ectopics in the radiology group because you can't go get your comprehensive exam if you are not stable. And the point of care group had a lower systolic blood pressure, had a higher shock index and had higher triage level of acuity. Also had more syncope as a presenting complaint. Of note, 38 and a half percent of these patients were roomed in the hallway, which makes me feel good 
about our current yeah, like affairs that, that we are not on an island right now. So what they found is that there was approximately a 50 minute shorter time in the ED for the point of care group. Their secondary outcome, which I think is probably the more clinically significant outcome, is the time to operative management for ruptured ectopic, right? If you turn on the fire hose inside this woman's belly, you have to turn it off quickly. So this is, I think, more impressive. There's a 90 minute difference between the radiology performed and the POCUS performed. And I think that's like, if you think about if you're actively bleeding out, like last time we took the Stop the Bleeding course, I don't think 90 minutes was an appropriate time to bleeding control. Of note, even though they got to the OR faster, the point of care group had more than twice as much blood in their belly as the radiology group, which probably goes back to that first point that they were sicker. So treatment time for the POCUS only group that did not get a comprehensive exam after the POCUS was 71 minutes compared to 195 minutes if they got the comprehensive only. Treatment to OR for the POCUS only, 129 minutes. The radiology only, 293 minutes. Wow. What's that? That's like over two hours. Yeah. But again, it makes sense that the sicker patients are getting to the OR faster in theory. So for POCUS of the ruptured ectopics, the majority of them had a combined positive pelvic view and positive right upper quadrant view for free fluid. So I like this. I don't love it. I think this is not that different from a Chris Moore paper over a decade ago that looked at length of stay correlating with POCUS versus radiology performed ultrasound. And I think this just confirms what we already know that if you're sick, ultrasound is your friend. Again, as we've stated previously, ultrasound alone does not save lives, but it is a useful tool in saving someone's life. And that rather than sending someone away for a comprehensive exam, which will likely not change any anything, doing the exam at the bedside, if feasible, will expedite the care of the patient. I think this is kind of a no-duh statement in my mind. This data has kind of been there before. My thoughts were that there may be better questions to ask. Do we miss anything if we just do POCUS versus radiology performed ultrasound? Or do we have misdiagnoses? Is there anything I need to be careful of? I love ultrasound, but I want to know my own limitations with this. And so I would it would be interesting to see if there were any surprising diagnoses in the operating room or how many missed diagnoses there were. And if there's anything point of care could do better or that there would be a benefit in trying to get that comprehensive ultrasound. And I think the other thing is when mandated to do a comprehensive ultrasound, is that delaying time to OR? Are there significant patient outcomes that we need to be looking at when a comprehensive is part of your hospital's protocol? So that's my two cents kind of from this data. Yeah, I agree. And I was, I had the same thoughts as you, like, we already kind of know a lot of this stuff, everyone's doing these ultrasounds. And I think what these authors were trying to establish is the importance of combining, not just doing your OB pelvic exam and looking for free fluid there. And if you don't see an IUP, being concerned about a topic, but I think they were doing what others have said in the past, where you should add on at least part of a fast. And if you see free fluid there, we know this patient is more likely to need to get operative intervention. And that's been true before. And it's true in this study. You know, they try to, they throw it together in this nice little acronym. I had to laugh when I was reading and they said, you know what? No one has surprisingly made an acronym for this because it just shows how in ultrasound, we just love acronyms. And whenever there's the absence of one, we're going to find an acronym to fill that spot. So they made up rupture, which is right upper and pelvis timely ultrasound for ruptured ectopic. 
just add on that fast when you're doing the pelvic ultrasound for an IUP. And another little public service announcement, the authors note that there were plenty of scans with low beta HCGs. So do not rule out a topic based on a low beta HCG. Up to 40% of the radiology performed ultrasounds had a beta HCG that was below what many consider a discriminatory zone. One last thing that I really liked, you remember we said they were going to do linear regressions of a lot of this, looking for associations. Well, unfortunately, when they did that on the primary outcome of the ED length of stay, there was so many different interactions that they found that they really couldn't tease out, you know, how much that was responsible. The secondary outcome, it did work out. So we know that even if you control for a lot of those other factors, including how sick the patients were, the time to OR was still significantly shorter and associated with POCUS. The other crazy thing that I really appreciate that these authors assessed was for race. And there's not a lot of studies that actually tackle this, but they found that point of care ultrasound was more associated with a white race, as was ruptured ectopics. So I applaud them for looking into that outcome and agree with them that this is something that we're going to need to study some more in the future. It's a really cool thing. And I think something that we're probably going to need to start looking at more is implicit bias in ultrasound and also kind of trauma-informed care with ultrasound and cultural differences in ultrasound. You know, I think we grab POCUS when patients look sick, but there probably is some cultural variability in how patients present. So I think that's a great point and kudos to the authors for including that. And I think future researchers in point of care ultrasound pay this mind and be considerate of cultural differences and implicit bias since point of care ultrasound is provider chosen and not standardized that may play a role in when we're doing it so i think should be part of our research when we're looking at are these our patients are these our providers but also like is there bias and when we grab that probe and not but i think this is a cool study i think it like i said it validates i think what we already know i have some more questions i would love answered but i think overall it shows that point of care ultrasound can significantly decrease the time these women are essentially hemorrhaging into their abdomens and can get them to definitive care faster. Yes, and I think you did hit upon one of the main limitations, that's the elephant in the room, is that this being a retrospective study, we can only really infer an association with the shorter time to management. So that's the big problem with this study, because we're really going to need some prospective studies if we want to say this is true, which in fact, we actually probably have a couple of them. But based on this data alone, you can't say that it was the POCUS that actually expedited the care because all those patients were really sick too. So it's a little bit muddy in how you interpret this. Was it the POCUS? Was it the acuity of the patient that expedited their care? Maybe it was both. I think the conclusion that we can agree upon is that you should probably keep doing ultrasound in these patients. It'll help you get to the right answer faster and hopefully get them to the right treatment faster. To summarize this data, this was a retrospective cohort of 109 ED patients with an ectopic pregnancy. So the POCUS group had 50 minutes less in their time to disposition and 90 minutes less in their time to operative management. Take home points are that the POCUS is associated with a shorter length of stay or at least a shorter disposition time in ectopic pregnancies, but there is some doubt on the causation given that this cohort was sicker in this study. Continue to do these, continue to add on the FAST exam when you suspect an ectopic pregnancy because that is going to be helpful. All right, thanks again to these authors for tackling this and thank you for tuning in yet again. You can always find out more at ultrasoundgel.org or talk to us on Twitter. Until then, we will talk to you later. More pressure, more challenge, more pressure, more.
Gel. Do you know why it's called the Pouch of Douglas? The Pouch of Douglas is named after James Douglas, who was this Scottish physician and anatomist from the 1600s. He was famous because he exposed this fraud of a woman who said she was giving birth to rabbits, and he was able to prove that she actually wasn't. So seems like a pretty smart guy. Yeah, we'll have to rename that. Yeah, Pouch of Bulger. (laughs)